What's going on, ladies and gents? Welcome back to New York City Meets Bama. I'm your host, Chris Merriman, here with... Katerina. We are back again for another episode. After all of our adventures, where all did we go these last couple of weeks? We went to my sister's wedding. Oh, in Pittsburgh. What fun. No. Philly. <laughs> Philly. I can't remember. You took me everywhere. We've been in half the states already. Yeah, definitely not in Pittsburgh, whatever you said, in Philly. Oh, is that a better place? We traveled to Philly. Uh, that was really fun. We had a lot of dinner events. He met my family. He met oh. Nanny. Oh, yeah, that was, that was interesting. <laughs> and then we decided, we made a huge decision, guys. We think we're going to get a dog. That means we're definitely getting a dog. According to who? You or me? Oh, you. Yeah, we're definitely getting a dog. Whenever you spend two days searching different dogs, I was like, okay, let's just go ahead and get one. Let's just do this. <laughs> <laughs> so his mom is breeding them, and what kind of dogs are they? They are teacup poodles. They basically are it's teddy like bear. A rat. It's a no, teddy rat. it's teddy, teddy bear. <laughs> teddy bear. I'm so excited. <laughs> what are the little dogs that your nanny has? Oh, Italian greyhounds. Interesting. Those are so cute. Those are so, like, fashion-oriented dogs. Like, that makes sense. <laughs> but we're going to get one of those, and I'm so excited. I'm going to decorate it. I'm going to do the little cute hairdos. You're going to love it. And I came up with a name. Ready? Ready. Beanie. Beanie. That was or, I know. Is that one you want to name my nickname? Yeah. <laughs> and I call everything that's, like, a little bean. Oh little beanie. Gosh. And then I want to either call it that or Luigi, and then we call her Louie or him, whatever type of dog it is. <laughs> Beanie or Luigi? I pick Luigi. I know you would pick Luigi, but oh, we would call it's it not Louis. My decision. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's a group decision. <laughs> Excellent. You, yourself, and you? <laughs> Highly altered by my opinion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh. You're learning. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> what else is new? New. I know next month we're going to be going a few lake adventures. We're going to be going back to Vegas. So that'll be some fun stories to tell. We have a lake adventure in September? No, but okay, next week. You mean this Friday? Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, I'm totally <laughs> lost. If it's not on my calendar, my calendar is what tells me to show up. So that's all I know. Yeah, so what Chris is referring to is we're going to a lake with his sister for a retreat. And that is this Friday. So when this comes out, it'll be last week. But... I'm, we'll I'm excited for that. We'll have stories to tell. Yeah, lots of stories. <laughs> and then I guess in September we're going to Vegas. Yep. Where did we go before Philly? We were in Mississippi for a day. Oh, yeah. Went to Jackson, Mississippi to look at some houses and mm -hmm. stuff. Hang out with one of our buddies, Paul. Oh, we were away for my birthday. Oh, yeah. We went to Panama City Beach. Yeah, we can't tell you all those stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was fine. It we was went to fine. the beach. We rented a boat for my birthday. He was so sweet and got a boat. Mm -hmm. I think we decided we're done with PCB for a couple of years. Like we're gonna find some new places, like go to the Key West or go out of country some more for birthdays and things. Cause yeah, where did Lizzie want to go? Uh, I don't remember Cayman Islands or something somewhere we can all get lost and never come back. I guess. I think it was in Thailand. <laughs> no, I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. But that's everything. So today we have an exciting guest, and when she comes on, we'll introduce her. We all know being an entrepreneur is hard. It comes with lots of mental challenges and confidence struggles. For me, I've dealt with imposter syndrome and found that talking to someone has helped me find myself 
and strengthen my confidence. It can be difficult to navigate it on your own. Now, because of professional therapists, you don't have to. And that's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp can give you tools to approach your life in a very different way. No matter where you are, you can talk to a professional therapist that fits your unique needs and an affordable cost. Just fill out a few questions and BetterHelp can match you to a professional therapist in just days. Put yourself first and use BetterHelp services today and you will receive 10% off your first month of BetterHelp. Use the link in the description below this show. You deserve to be happy too. Use the link betterhelp.com slash NYC meets Bama. Again, betterhelp, H-E-L-P slash NYC meets Bama. BetterHelp wants all of you to be as successful as possible and help you reach your fullest potential. Connect with the therapist today. And we are back. This is your host, Chris Merriman, here with Katarina Fink. And we now have Jennifer Lee with Entry Envy on the line here. Say hi to everybody, Jennifer. Hello. So glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. No problem. We're so excited to have you. Yeah, so just a little background on Jennifer. We've known each other from a few masterminds and things like that. And she's a pretty business savvy individual, which came from the corporate world. So it's a journey that a lot of you are going to want to hear about and pay attention to all the ups and downs, pitfalls, hardships, and and how she overcome all that to create what is now Entry Envy. So, Jennifer, do you want to dive into that a little bit about what your background was uh, previous to Entry Envy? Sure, sure. I have learned that I am a very untraditional founder. And I didn't even know exactly what I was starting when I started this. But I, I think I know what I've gotten myself into now. And it's all good and it's fun and it's exciting. But it's uh, definitely a journey. So my background, when I, I'm going to take you back to the time because it's all relevant. I am working on a book called Every Path Has a Purpose. And it really is that I can go back and connect every dot that I have ever done, every experience, all the people that I've met that have led me to where I'm at today. And I think it's just so critical as a part of the story because I know that all of those people that I've met that I meet today and that I meet in the future are all part of that. Like you can't take a single page out of somebody's book because it changes the entire story. So when I got out of college, I had lined up a job uh, six months before I graduated. Uh, I was working for a bank and it was very corporate-like. And the day that I started, I was I graduated at semester in three and a half years go to work in my new power suit, dressed in black, ready to kill. And I I was reporting directly to the president and the CEO of the bank. And this guy came to me that morning who I'd never seen before and said, the board of directors fired him over the weekend. And we don't really know what to do with you. Would you like to be a bank teller? And I'm like, nope. So it was interesting because I turned down three or four Fortune 500 jobs that were awesome companies. I mean, they would have been incredible opportunities. And now I was stranded without a job, the woman who'd planned everything her entire life. And I was like, well, oh shit, now what? And this was back in end of 99, beginning of 2000. We were still looking for jobs in the paper back then. And there was a job (laughs) that said a West Omaha physician's office was seeking a marketing director. And I'm thinking, what kind of doctor's office does marketing? But marketing was my undergrad. So I apply and a woman calls me and says, can you come in for an interview tomorrow morning at 6 a.m.? I'm like, yep, 
Yep. Okay. That's what I, that's what I say in life. Yes. And I uh, went in and I was meeting with four plastic surgeons before they went into surgery for the day. And they asked me if I knew anything about plastic surgery. And I said, other than I think my mom's friends have had some, no. And we <laughs> talked about a couple of other things and uh, they offered me the job and I said, yes. And you know, what's interesting is that I really didn't know what I wanted to do when I graduated college. What I learned is that I do best thriving under pressure with chaos. I love to run around with my head chopped off like a chicken all day long. Things that <laughs> last minute doesn't scare me, doesn't bother me. And you know, that has served me so well. That has served me so well my entire life. But what I'm doing today isn't for everybody. And yeah, if I wasn't got you as a from childhood that caused that mentality, right? Because that's not normal. Most people get beat down from the press, you know, pressure and go into almost a depressive state or they lock up, right? It's it's hard to overcome that. You know, I think it comes from, I know it comes from my mom and dad. And, you know, my dad was always like somebody who just could roll with the punches. Like, you know, he was in construction. So, you know, best laid plans like go kind of go away, you know, and, and you think that this is how it's going to be. And he was just always kind of like, a, well, let's do it this way instead. You know, let's, there was always a solution. There was never one right way. It was like, if it works, it works, just figure it out and fix it. And it doesn't do any good to be uptight about it. Right. And my mom just really had kind of like a tough love, like, well, too bad, move on next. Like you can't change whatever just happened. So deal with it quickly because you need to move on. And so I never had any like, Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, it'll be okay. It'll work out. It was like, no, like shit happens, move on. And That's so I, I don't know if there's any other answer to that, but I, it's an interesting because I've never really reflected on it, Chris. You know, I, it's a good question. Yeah. It's just interesting because normally people aren't born with that. And I'm, I doubt if you were just born with that attitude, it was created being used to that, right? Nobody ever gave you an excuse, right? Dad had a problem. Dad fixed the problem. Mom said tough, move on. Right. So yeah. That correlation, that combination made you who you are. You know, it started the repetition of, all right, well, let's just move forward. This path is no good now. Let's just turn a little bit instead of giving up. Yeah. You know, if, if left isn't working, go right, right? And over that's and it. over and over again. So I think that, and that's certainly true of the entrepreneurial world. I mean, it is, I don't ever look at it as failures. It's feedback. It's, but it's constantly like, you know, I think pivoting is an overword you know, overused word, but I mean, that's what it is at its ultimate, like, and on a dime all the time. And if you're not a person who can just keep rolling with it, this is not for you. But so I learned working in a high, fast paced surgical environment with people that were super smart and, you know, perfection mattered. It was a life or death decision when you went into an operating room and said, you know, we got to get this right. We can't like, you know, make it a, you know, cut and see what happens, right? Like it, there was a very real consequence to everything that they did. We walked fast, we talked fast, you know, we thought fast. And I learned that I loved working for smart people. I loved marketing and I loved doing a lot of different things at one time. Well, through a friend of a friend, I got recruited away to a law firm that was looking for a marketing director. And I went through six rounds of interviews over three months. And that actually should have been my first clue. Doctors and lawyers make decisions 
very differently. And lawyers are really trained to think through all the options. They are, you know, like find the loophole, right? And a lot of times if you literally wait long enough, the problem, whatever it was, will just kind of take care of itself. They are paid to take as long as possible, period, to solve a problem. I mean, that is the world of billable hours. So the lawyers interview me for the marketing position and I get a call on a Monday night from the executive committee and they said, this is confidential. And I said, okay. They said, would you please be our executive director? I said, what happened to the marketing director job? They said, well, we want you to do that too. I said, well, what happened to the executive director that I've been interviewing with? Well, we like you better. We'd like to have you both. And so I said, I don't think that's a good idea. I'm arguing now with five litigators, keep in mind. I said, I don't think that's a good idea. I'm 26 years old. I have no legal experience whatsoever. I don't know anything about a law firm, and I've never really managed a company. I don't think that this is a good plan. I wouldn't hire me. And they're like, well, we think you can do it. And I said, well, what are you paying me? Well, we were kind of thinking the same thing we talked about. I said, you just asked me to do two full-time jobs. I said, double it. They said, okay. That's how Mm -hmm. I got it. There you go. (laughs) So I did do both roles for two, two and a half years. I ended up then getting married and I was on the path of having children and I said, I can't keep working 80 hours a week, so let's hire somebody else. And I hired a marketing gal. And so anyway, that's how I got into the world of law firm management. So I was there for nine years and I had decided during that last year there that I was going to go back and get my MBA because I wanted to be a law firm practice consultant. That's what I thought that I was going to start my own law firm practice consulting um, piece. I had worked with a consultant out of New York who was willing to sell me his practice. I was writing a book on how to manage a law firm. Like I had leadership positions. I was like this I mean, in the executive, like national level ranks of law firm management. And I was like, you know, this kind of feels right. So I start my MBA program. I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old. And as I was in this program, my friend who I knew from another law firm was moving to Maine and she said, would you please take my job? And I said, no. I said, I'm, I'm not available for hire right now. I like my job and I'm not going to work in law firms forever. And she said, she asked me two more times and she said, you know, we're moving to Maine. And okay, she moves to Maine. And the managing partner from that firm called me and after she was already gone and he said, I'd really like to talk to you. You know, Kim spoke so highly of you. Would you please consider having, you know, a meeting with me? And I, my mother-in-law, who's amazing, uh, was in town and she said, don't ever turn down a job you haven't been offered. And I was like, all right, fine. That is sage advice. I've, I've used that a number of times. So I said, all right. So I go to dinner with him. And by the end of dinner, I knew that I was going to end up working for that law firm. So it was an interesting change, of course. It was the right decision. But ironically, during the time that I was in my MBA program, writing this book, doing my plan, my marketing plan and business plan for how I was going to start this law firm practice consulting business, I decided I was building a business I didn't want. Could have done it. Would have been very successful, but I didn't care how much I was paid. I didn't want to manage lawyers the rest of my life. I didn't want to argue with them. I didn't want to tell them why they should change because they're just a challenging personality. However, I loved working for them. Again, brilliant people make me think, challenge me, and made me such an incredible communicator, written, oral, everything. So all of that experience was super relevant. So I shelved the idea of this practice management business. I finished my degree 
And the marriage was in a challenging situation for a lot of reasons at that time. And finally, in January of 2020, I left and I took the dog and my two kids and said, I can't do this anymore. March of 2020, COVID hits. And so (laughs) now I am trying to buy a house during the middle of a divorce, which is challenging enough from financing. During the middle of COVID, at the peak of the market, houses are flying off, you know, they're never even hitting the market. And you're paying 12 to, you know, 24 to you know, 50,000 over asking price in 12 to 24 hours, right? It was incredible. So beggars couldn't be choosers. I had to kind of get what I get. And so I found a house that was in the school district I wanted to be in, but there was no doubt about it. It was a fixer-upper. So I move into this house on August 1st of 2020 single mom with two kids, managing a law firm remotely, and I start remodeling this house. And it turns out that was therapy. So every night I would work all night long and, you know, paint and and just do whatever needed to be done, refinish floors and install baseboard and did tile and backsplashes and everything. And in April of 2021, with the law still managing law firm, mostly virtual still at that point, Uh, The law firm was in the middle of a merger, so I was managing that, and I was almost done with my remodel, and I came home every day, and it was this bittersweet memory of what I had left, which was a considerably more expensive home, coming home to a house that didn't reflect on the outside what it now did on the inside, and it made me sad. And I'm a big believer in first impressions. When you meet people, when you walk into a space, when you go into a party, when you walk into the wedding, when you wherever it is including your own home, your own driveway. How does it make you feel? And so I decided that I needed to add some curb appeal, but I was out of time, energy, and money, and I was trying to figure out, like, how do I solve this problem without spending a lot? So I decided to paint the garage door, paint the front door, update the front porch light fixture, and then find a way to update the house numbers that were above the garage. They were old, they were falling off, and you couldn't see them. So I go and Googling, modern house number signs because I didn't want to go to the store. I actually had already been there. And like, you have to look at the house numbers and then you had to like drill one each onto the house and they looked outdated. They didn't look any different than what I had and you couldn't see them very well. And so I'm looking for a modern house number sign. I'm like, I'm just going to buy this. They're going to be on there. All I have to do is hang up the sign. And couldn't find anything that I liked. I mean, house numbers, they're boring. Let's be honest. There's not a whole lot of fun about them. But I think <laughs> That had a little planter box on the front. And I was like, well, this is kind of cute. But the numbers were silver and I wanted gold. And I thought, this is stupid. I live in Nebraska. What the hell are you going to plant in this planter box that's going to last for more than three or four months out of our growing season that you're going to have to water like twice a day to keep it alive? Then you're going to rot the wood. You're going to have water all over the front porch. And who the hell has time for this? Like, forget it. But I had everything I needed to make this sign. So I went out to the garage anyway. And again, this were all my like handy skills I'd acquired from remodeling the house for the last nine months, 10 months. And so I make this sign. Then I got to go to Lowe's. And actually, I went to like Lowe's, West, the Westlake Ace Hardware, Home Depot, trying to find the right house numbers. Nobody sells them in gold. Finally find some that I like. Go home and spray paint them. Get this whole sign done. And it's really cute. But now I'm, it looks great. But I'm back to this planner box. 
So I go to Hobby Lobby first, and that happened to be the week that their faux floral wasn't on sale. I'm like, oh, great. So now I go over to Michael's, and I'm in Michael's, and I stand, this is right before Easter, and I'm standing there trying to figure out what to put in this little box. I have to buy three foam blocks, and I only need one. I had to buy a whole bag of Spanish moss, and I needed this much. I had to buy 12 tulips, because they didn't just sell three. I had to, like, buy a whole bag of these little eggs, because I wanted the one blue one, right? So I, like, do all <laughs> $37 later, an hour worth of time with driving and shopping. Now I'm at home. I have to find my wire cutters. I get Spanish moss torn all over the garage. And I got to find something to poke in this little egg that I got because he's going to blow away otherwise. And I get done with this. So we're two hours in now. And I mean, get it hung up. Cutest freaking thing ever. And then I realized that Easter was over in two weeks and I was going to have to do that every month. And I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought watering flowers was going to be a lot of work. And so I go back in the house and I'm like searching subscription boxes, faux floral, holiday and seasonal decor shipped to your door, you know, artificial accessories, like new mate, like I'm looking for everything. And I thought there's a subscription box out there for almost every single thing on the planet, but there wasn't one for this. And it was a little bit of a God moment. I just realized that there were millions of women that would love to have an all-in-one solution delivered to their door. We all love personalized homes, whether it's house numbers or last names or monograms. Then what about the people who live in apartments and assisted living facilities? They should be able to have something personalized for their door too. And the fundamental basis of all of this was a reoccurring revenue model where I could ship that faux floral holiday and seasonal decor delivered to their door. And I was like, yep, I just figured out what I want to do. And then the question was, did I push the go button? So that's how I got to where, where I was at. So you're saying you went from working with attorneys to surgeons, to running a law firm, to single mother, to contractor, to business owner. Yeah. <laughs> Creative business owner at that. Yeah, this is neat. I don't understand that. You know, that's an odd character change from all the attorneys and the higher-ups to, bam, you want to do entry envy. That was the signal that came to you after everything you've been through. That's wild. Yeah, well, I mean, so then I, but then I didn't know. I mean, I was like, I have a great business idea here. And, you know, Sarah Blakely is one of my favorites, founder of Spanx. And she says that ideas are their most fragile in their infancy. And statistically, most founders don't tell anybody for a year what they're doing. I don't tell anybody what they're working on. Wow. And, you know, there's the fear of failure. There's a fear of somebody stealing your idea. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a fear of, like, I don't even know if I'm going to do this, so I'm not going to tell anybody I'm doing it because <laughs> then it may make it so, right? And so I had to decide who I was going to tell and if I should do this or not. And my mother is, she's always been, like, one of my most trusted confidants, but as we already discussed, she's a tough love cookie. And so she says it like it is. And I was 99% sure that when I told her this, she was going to say, hell to the no. You don't have time for this. You know, you're managing a law firm full-time in the middle of a merger. You're a single mom with two kids. You're not done with your remodel yet. What the hell? You don't even have any money to do this. No, right? Like I just, I was 99% sure. And I thought I needed to hear that. I needed somebody to just say, don't do it. Well, what she said was, you know, I'm retiring next month. I could help you. Aww. And I was like, oh, shit. Well, now I guess I, 
oh, well, okay. Guess I can do this. I didn't even know what I was like. Okay, well, now what? That's not what you expected. That was not what I expected. And I'm usually right. And I was wrong on that one. I was really wrong. And I was like, wow, okay. So I decided, kind of went back to Marketing 101. A lot has changed in the world of marketing, but there's some fundamental truths that haven't. And one of them is, you can think you have the best idea or product or service on the planet, but if nobody's going to buy it, stop, right? Right. So that's start number one. Do you have a customer? You're going to buy it, but is anybody else? And by the way, somebody besides your mom, your brother, or your dog, right? Like it has to be legit. So I needed to do some customer research, customer focus groups, needed to like figure out. And then again, we're talking about we're putting an idea out there. So this gets real scary real quick. There was an art show coming up and my mom suggested, she goes, what if we do a booth at the art show and we just take samples? And it was, it's a a kind of a very well-known art and craft show in Omaha. They only allow makers. It's in a nice wealthy area of Omaha. It's not a craft show. It's so, it was like an interesting opportunity and really kind of who we needed to be in front of. And she goes, what if we just did a booth and we just took some samples and we didn't sell anything because we didn't even have the name of a company, right? And just kind of like tested this idea to see what people thought. Well, long story short, in six hours, we had 250 email addresses that said, let us know when you go live. We'd love to buy this. And I was like, okay, I got something here. There's enough (laughs) at this point to say we need to press this a little further. So You know, despite the fact that I had 20 years, 23 years of business experience, corporate experience, running law firms, an MBA, an undergrad in marketing, I knew nothing about how to start a company. I mean, that's a whole different animal. So I was like, okay. I went back to my MBA days and had become very familiar with coaches because my thesis had been on executive coaching. And went through the list of all of the coaches that I had met and who was the best one suited to help me with business. And I got connected to a gal that I'd been in touch with, but not much from the eight years prior. And I actually also at that time through her got connected to Kat's dad, Paul Fink. And I talked to both of them about what I was doing and what I felt like I needed help on to sort of get this business off the ground. The primary objective of hiring a coach at that time was to help me launch the business. That was, I needed basics. Marketing degree was obsolete at this point. Didn't know how to, I knew how to buy a website, but I really didn't know much more than that. And so I interviewed both of them. And, And this is so relevant because I am a huge fan of coaches, but you've got to have the right coach at the right time for what you need. It is not a blanket like anybody will do the job. I don't care how good they are. It's not true. And so when I interviewed both of them at that time, I needed her, not Paul. I needed, Paul already had me owning an island. God bless him. I mean, he is the reason I'm where I'm at right now. But we needed a website first before we could get there. And I needed to be like kind of still at like step one, two, three, not step 200. And, and I you love still had your corporate job right now while you were looking for these coaches. Yeah. Yeah. yeah see, that's I will that skip. They just go out on their own and start jumping for they can and they end up burning themselves out instead of going straight to a coach. Let's start this strategically and then learn the steps. So that's, yeah, that's awesome. That's where, where you got to begin at. Well, and beyond that, Chris, 
I didn't have time to have a full-time job and figure all of this out without a coach. I needed somebody to help me shortcut. Like, you know, where do I hire a virtual assistant from? Go to the Philippines. They speak the best English. Perfect. (laughs) Great. What websites do I use to find that? Fiverr and Upwork. Great. Okay, good. Now I, you know, like that was the kind of stuff, you know, that helped. So with her advice, I was able to get this company launched in five months for less than $10,000, including her coaching fees. And that was certainly working 130 hours a week, right? Managed a law firm all day long, 60 hours a week. Got done with my remodel about July. I started the company, you know, like building the back end in March and then launched October 1st. And I call that launch entry Envy 1.0. It certainly has, the fundamental concept hasn't changed, but a lot has changed since then. And there's no other way. Like you just have to do it and then figure it out. Mm -hmm. And it does. And so at the beginning of December, I kept Paul in my back pocket, knowing that he was going to be the right time for him at some point, but it wasn't yet. And so he was doing a Maverick Success Live coaching event at the beginning of December. This is in 2021. I had a free hotel room and a free airline, you know, a ticket through points. And the cost was, was something very reasonable to go, you know, a few hundred dollars. And I was like, you know, I'm going to go spend three days by myself on my business and thinking about sort of what's next. I was also highly skeptical of him because I'd been on a couple of Zoom calls and I'm like, this guy's like too good to be true. Like, there's no way that this guy is as good as he says he is, as nice as he says he is. And by the way, as good as everybody else on the call says that he is, you know, I'm like, there's just no way, but I'll go see for myself. Right. And I went in with the mentality of, I'm not hiring this guy. I kind of knew the price tag that came with it. And I was like, I'm not hiring this guy, but I'm just going to spend three days. Well, by the end of the first day, he'd made me cry two or three times. And (laughs) that's hard to do. I don't cry. And I'd already cried two or three times. And I thought I might have to hire him. And by the middle of the second day, I knew I would. I think I cried four times over that weekend. Yeah, they were like breakthrough cries. Like I realized that I was just, even though I had launched the company, there was still so much fear holding me back. So much fear. And, you know, his words of advice. And I don't think that he, he doesn't throw this out lightly. And it's certainly... Like you have to have the pieces in place to be at at the stage that I was. But, you know, it's don't quit your job when you've replaced your income. Quit your job when you know how to replace your income. And I knew how. I definitely, I had 40 subscribers at the end of December of 2021, paying $30 a month. I was making six figures in my corporate job. So we are nowhere close to replacing my income. But I sat down and I looked at, you know, and this was with the help of him and Keith and sat down and said, okay, I'm going to give myself a year, a year contract that if this isn't working after a year, I can always go back to corporate. And that's, that's the most that I can do. So that's where the debt started of, okay, you're going to go into debt on this and you're going to make an investment and there's no plan B. Single mom, two kids, just quit her job. So and I didn't want to go back to corporate. So it was like, you better make this work. And that's a huge part of, I think, the success piece of, of why I worked as hard as I did and I still do. And so then 2022 comes, I turned in my notice at the law firm at the end of December of 2021. So I saw him at the beginning of December. I had turned in my notice at the end of December. I did not go full-time into entry and be, well, I shouldn't say that. I was already full-time, but I didn't leave 
my law firm job until March of 2022. And then I've been full-time in Entry Envy since then. So that's where we are to that point. So then, again, going back to belief in coaches, in October of 2021, I also became very familiar with industry association specific to the subscription box world. And that's important too. Like you need industry agnostic, you need mindset, you need people around you that believe in you, you need- you don't need it to start, right? Like you had a, you pretty much went off that basis that you now know how to replace your income. You may not have all the correct steps in place at the beginning, but- they just come like sort of stepping stones. As long as you keep moving forward, they all come into play. Yeah. It's a lot of trusting the process. And it, you know, but yeah, they do. So then I entered the subscription trade association. I definitely became immersed in that world and it got another coach through that who has a business, her name is Sarah Williams, called Launch Your Box. And it's about how do you launch a subscription box? Now, I already (laughs) have but I wish that I would have met her before. And she then has another company called Scale Your Box. And she has her own successful subscription box. So she's walking, you know, it's walk the walk, you know, walk the talk. And, you know, we talk about that with Paul, too. You know, there's coaches out there who just stand there and just talk about what they, you know, how you should do it. And then there's coaches that are actually doing it as well. And I've always valued that. So she was a huge part of the story. So then we end up winning best new subscription of the year from the subscription trade association in June of 2022. Amazing. And then had, we did 75% of our business in 2022 between August 20th and December 15th. And we're going to do the same thing this year. We've learned we're really seasonal and it actually makes a lot of sense. It's just a little scary. And I don't think it'll always be that way, but it is what it is. So by the end of 2022 in December, we had 300 subscribers. So 2021, we had 40, then we had 300 by the end of last year. We will have a thousand by the end of this year. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. And then plan is to have 5,000 by the end of next year. So we got on this bus and what I learned from last fall was that success is even more expensive than starting a company, especially when it's a product-based business. So now we've got cash flow, we've got inventory. There's just a lot of dynamics. And for a while, I thought I was failing. Like, I have no money. How is this possible? We've had the highest you know, revenue in the last three months. What's going on? And I, it was, you know, and it was hard because for me, managing a law firm, I was pretty much in a CFO role. You know, I wore a lot of different hats, but I knew the books like the back of my hand. I knew exactly how much we needed on this day. I knew knew billable hours. I knew payroll. I knew everything. It was predictable. It was a, you know, a 50-year-old company. Startups, again, go back to got to be able to adapt and change on the dime. And that includes the financials. You can't predict anything. It's terrifying. So you got to roll with it and you got to keep leaning into it. That's when I decided, I think I need to look at this investor route. And what does that look like? So at that same time, there was a program in Nebraska. It's a nationally recognized accelerator called Generator, and they have an arm in Omaha and Lincoln and Nebraska called N-Motion. And they were accepting applications in January for their summer cohort for 2023. And the 14-week program that is pretty much a mini MBA in how to scale a startup and raise venture capital. How did you they find only, that? 
through getting involved with the startup community in Nebraska. And how I got involved with that was when I decided to start this company, I called the one and only founder I knew. And his name's Joe Petzik, and he's amazing. And he had, you know, he's very entrepreneurial. And I'm like, Joe, I got an idea here. And I knew him. Our kids went to the same school. He'd also been a client of our law firm. And, you know, if you look at, um, you know, the book Dan Sullivan and Ben Hardy wrote, It's Who, Not How, I think every single thing in my life comes down to those examples. It's like, who do you call? Who do you ask? Who do you know? And there's so many people that, either A, don't know who to ask or afraid to ask for help, think it's a waste of time to even explore it, think they can do it on their own. Like I look at it as like, I have never walked away from a meeting in my life without learning something. Even if all I did was have a meeting with myself for an hour, right? Like that hour of self-reflection, it's meaningful, 100%. And so when I met with him, he was the one who was like, I mean, you know, he's like, great, this is good for you. This could be huge. This is this is where you need to go. And here is, you know, one million cups meets every Wednesday morning. And, you know, he starts throwing out organizations and people and terms that I've never heard of, but I'm like frantically writing them down, you know. <laughs> and now I'm like, yep, yeah, I know every single one of those organizations, every single one of those people that are involved and a hundred times more than that. Because I said yes, and because and I leaned one in. conversation. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah, people need to remember that. I was the same way. I was uh, fearful to reach out, right? I would presume that founder would not have given me any details about my new startup business. Yeah. No, I'm so glad I did. And that was a, that was a game changer. It was a 10x move. And then stepping up, right? Knowledge is only as good as it is if you don't apply it, right? So then it was like going and leaning in. So through those pieces of just starting to show up and the first few times were hard right like I didn't even I didn't feel like I had a hard seat at the table I mean like some days I still I have a hard time explaining to somebody what's the difference between a founder and a small business owner and there's not a right or a wrong right but what's the difference between a small business and a startup right and then what's the difference between a tech startup and all of the different kinds of tech that go underneath that category and you know, a consumer product, good direct to consumer, right? And I'm in the SaaS category, but not software as a service, you know, I'm in subscription box world. So all these nuances. So I start showing up and I am very intimidated at first thinking I do not have a seat at the table. I don't know what the hell I'm doing here, but I kept going. And I got the conversation that I had with one of the managing partners of the Zen Motion program was the most refreshing conversation that I had had in two years. And what was interesting about the prior, all of the prior conversations that I'd had when I talked to people about my company and hopes and dreams, I think short of your dad, Kat, and everybody else thought I was crazy. Nobody else really, I don't want to say nobody, but I don't think I was reaching for this guy. I was not, it was a nonlinear path of where I wanted to go. And it still is. And that was the first person that I was like, instead of feeling like an anomaly, I felt like I'd found my home. I was like, Mm -hmm. this is my next spot. This is where I need to be. This makes sense. So when I think about my progression of coaches again, that was that next piece that I needed. 
I think that it's really important. And, you know, Paul says this all the time. Your circle of five matters. Who you spend, you know, the average of, you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. And your circle changes. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And you can't stay. You can't stay in one spot. You have to keep moving. And even that's super hard because you always, you meet friends, you get comfortable. It's like, this feels like home. And the moment you get comfortable, you're no longer growing. You're no longer challenging yourself. And I was, I needed the next challenge. So I now was, I got accepted into that program, which was an incredible honor. They only take companies that they believe have the potential to be worth half a billion dollars or more in five to seven years. So it was a wow. Somebody not only believes that much in me and this company, but they're also willing to put their money where their mouth is and give us $100,000 for a 7.5% trade of equity. And that was a big one. That was like, okay, all right, deep breath. I got this. How long ago was that? That was May 1st. I started that program. So you've been 14 weeks now then? Yeah, I just graduated last Thursday. That's awesome. Yeah. So the application process started in January. Didn't find out I was accepted until April and then started May 1st. So super intensive 14-week coaching, lots of one-on-one retreats. The coolest thing is I was in this elite program with seven other founders, and they invested $100,000 in each of us, industry agnostic, all startups. And, you know, it was super refreshing to be back in a space where I wasn't the smartest person in the room all the time, mm. you know, where I was being challenged, uh, where I was being questioned. Why are you doing what you're doing? Not that you're wrong, but can you explain this? Can you articulate it? And it's a lot like reading an email out loud that you're going to send. And when you read it out loud, you tend to go, ah, it doesn't sound quite right. Let me rewrite this, right? Well, For two years, I've been completely my own boss. I just, you know, whatever I want, I've got a great team of people, they make it happen. But I haven't had anybody questioning me, you know, and this was back to somebody saying, you know, have you thought about it this way different? Or, you know, can you explain this? And I was like, wow. I've missed that. I missed working again. What I loved about doctors and lawyers, working with super smart people that made me better all the time. And I was back in that world. So I could write a book about everything that I've learned that I recognize that I've learned in the last 14 weeks. And I can't even begin to tell you how much I've learned that I don't know yet, you know. But um, some big things, it was time to bring in a leadership level. It was time to not be the only one making all the decisions. So I hired a fractional COO and a fractional CMO. Um, Realized that I needed to move this business out of my house. I could do it here, but there were reasons that it needed to be elsewhere. You know, really reflecting upon where my time is spent what is my best? Like, where is my 20% kind of working genius zone? And how do I only do that? And it's hard because I'm talented in a lot of different areas, but where am I most talented and what can I absolutely not delegate to anybody else? And so I'm still working through, like, again, just graduating last Thursday, I've still been working 120 hours a week, but I'm trying to not go back to bad habits 
or old habits, right? Trying to make sure just because I got a little bit of extra time that I don't start picking up things that I've delegated. Um, Really staying in my zone of genius, you know, leaning on team members. And my number one focus right now is on fundraising. I have to make sure that there's enough money in the bank to make, to continue doing what we're doing. So lots of big, deep breaths, but, and I don't know what the end of the story is, right? Like that's just where we are right now. Mm -hmm. So it's driving hard and uh, trusting the process. There you go. So you're transitioning outside the home. You've got a CFO and everyone on the team now uh, that are fractional and you're just deciding what parts they're going to delegate versus what you're already involved in. Cause you're saying right now your time needs to be spent raising capital and they're transitioning to run and manage a lot of the in and outs of the actual company right now. Yeah. Yeah. So we already had a fractional CFO and that's, I mean, one of the things that makes me somewhat of an untraditional founder is because I had 25 years worth of business experience, I knew that I needed to build in the people around me as my team from day one. And so you need a great lawyer. You need a great accountant. You need a great CPA. You need Mm -hmm. a great insurance person. You need great wealth management people. Like you need to have all of those people. And then you need a great team, but there's different levels. So now it's, you know, the, the manager of the manager's level that I'm implementing. So the CMO, when I made, kind of declared and said, okay, we're going to have a thousand monthly subscribers by the end of this year. There's two things that have to happen in order for that to be accomplished. One, we have to drive the traffic to the website, which is what I needed a CMO to be focused on. And I need to make sure that we can do deliver what we sell with five-star customer service, which is why I needed the COO level. And my role is really making sure that we have the funds in the bank to keep going. I am investor, so investor relations. I'm public relations. I'm the face of the brand. I do all of the designs. I want to ensure that our customers are surprised and delighted when they get their subscription each month. And none of those pieces are easy to delegate and they are all in my working genius space. So delegating the mechanics, which are critical, on the CMO side was important. And I think that I went through some, (laughs) went through some heated discussions actually with when I knew I needed a marketing person, what did I need that person to look like and do? And, you know, one of the people from the in motion program, the coaches, we were having this healthy conversation debate and he's like, I just think you need a part, you know, a full-time but just an entry-level marketing person, you know, a couple of years of experience. And I said, are you kidding me? I will chew them up and spit them out. Like, no. Like, you have to hire people who are smarter and better than you in a specific area. And that's kind of asking a lot when you're talking about the amount of experience that I have. And not that I've done it in the CMO world, but it wasn't an entry-level marketing person. I knew that. And then, you know, same thing on the upside. You know, I can run a business with my hands tied behind my back and my eyes shut. So it's got to be somebody who can do that as well or better than I can. And those are very expensive people. And he's like, you can't afford that yet. And I said, well, that's my problem, not yours. I have to make the right decision to figure out who the best people are in those roles. So if I don't trust the people on my team, it doesn't do any good to hire them. So yeah. I trust both of those people. 
It's certainly been a grace because during the summer we're slower. So my team members are transitioning with all of us, you know, changing roles. And, you know, we're all taking one step in front of the other. And there was an interesting discussion a few, maybe about a month and a half ago in Nebraska. That was, it was a panel of Gen Z people, maybe one millennial that were working for startups. And they were talking about what's it like to work in a startup. And the founders in the room were all just like on edge, just going, God, what are these people going to say, right? But it <laughs> That's goes, my generation. <laughs> I know. But it goes back to the very beginning of what I said. This isn't for everybody. This is not for everybody. So, you know, you want to know. When you're going into this, there's a huge difference working for a Fortune 500 company or a professional services company or a startup, right? And everything in between. And you kind of want to know what you're getting into, you know? So it was, it's building a team that trusts each other, that's all willing to work on this startup mentality of scrappy, really flexible, and fast really mm -hmm. fast everyone does every job <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah. you were saying that the employees you initially had everyone in your house and now everyone is not in your house where are you creating the products for entry yeah. so i only moved half of the business out of the house because it doesn't need to both be there's two pieces we have the manufacturing of the signs and then we have the subscription box fulfillment and I am huge about getting women into trades and manufacturing, and there's two different demographics I'm pulling. The women that are manufacturing signs tend to be Gen Zs. They tend to be young, fun, and so uh, there are some economic incentive acts that have been in Nebraska and federally to go into opportunity zones. And those zones are really close to up and coming areas of Omaha. They're hip spaces. They're, they cater to a much younger generation. So I'm headquartered downtown in Omaha. And that's where the manufacturing of the signs is, is going to remain and take place. The subscription box fulfillment is still being done out of my house. And I know people think it sounds crazy, but I have 2,500 square feet in this house that's dedicated to the business. It is not a home right now. It is a house. And so that is where all of that. And it works because I'm pulling from a different demographic. I'm pulling from kind of stay-at-home moms, semi-retired people. They live in West Omaha. They're not going to drive downtown. Mm -hmm. And there's no reason it all needs to be done in one place. So for right now, it was too big of a deep breath for me to like move it all at once. That felt scary. Like, let's just move half of it. This is my baby. I mean, oh my God. Like, you think it's hard to leave your kids at daycare? Try leaving your company at daycare. Oh my God. <laughs> so hard. So hard. So, you know, so we've moved half of the child to daycare and the other half is still here. Oh. So what would you say helped you grow your business the most in the last two years? Coaches. Yeah. Confidence. Finding people that believe in me and what I'm doing more than I believe in myself. I mean, even looking at investors, the company matters, the numbers matter, but they're really investing in a founder rather than just the company. Mm -hmm. So You're the investment, um, the business is the security. Yeah. You've got to trust yourself. It's not easy. It's not easy. But 
I think it's, that's, trust the process. 90, mm-hmm. I did not know that 90% of my success would be attributed to my mindset. And I can confidently say that now. And it's, it's with everyone you know, though. That's the hardest piece. That's what it ends up. You're like, if I wasn't who I was at the end of this journey, I couldn't have created all this because your mindset's the number one factor to all this. You could work 100 hours a week, 120, doesn't matter if you sink every time something changes and you aren't able to adapt and continue forward. It's definitely yeah. your mindset because I've been around you enough. You are one strong-minded woman. <laughs> it's what it is. <laughs> so you have two girls. How is that like work-life balance, balancing being there for them and also running the business, especially from home? You know, I don't know. I think it'll but balance running it from home has been the saving grace because having my team members here, my kids, I've always said it takes a village to raise a child. And I think it's better for them all the way around that they have as much exposure to as many different kinds of people as they grow up as possible. Strong influences. I mean, of course, you want them to be positive. But it's been, I couldn't have done what I've done without having this out of my house and without having the help of my mom and my assistant, who's amazing and just really trusted women that are in this home every day. The girls are now 11 and 13, almost 12 and 14. But I I think that the real side of it, we're not going to know until they're 25, Kat. I think they're going to look back. And, you know, someday be on a podcast with you telling the story of I remember when, you know, and I just, it's kind of like, just like what I said about going through this program right now, I can tell you what I know that I got out of it, but I can't tell you yet what else I got out of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's all part of the journey. And I don't think that I will know how this, how the major life decisions that I've made in the last three years to leave their father, to you know, quit a job to start a company um, and not just a little company, but, a, you know, really take a, take a company that's small and take it big is going to impact them yet. I just, we don't know the end. Yeah, I with, just, with all I'm this. not screwing them up, you know, like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> You're not going to screw them up. Don't worry. <laughs> They'll be fine. I'm screwing it up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, with all this that you've gone through and transitioned into to create Entry Envy, what has been the most gut-wrenching, scariest moments through this transition? I know you're pretty tough, so you're like, ah, it wasn't that bad, but... Oh, God, the whole thing's scary. You know, Rashma Suhani had a quote, or she was, it was a real I caught. I love Rashma, founder of Girls Who Code and Moms First US. And she said, somebody asked her if she was scared, and she's like, all day, every day, and twice on Sundays. I'm like, yeah, I mean, truth. I mean... I don't think that there's, I'm scared every day. There is no way I'm not. I think biggest, I said, I will always say that the hardest decision I made in my adult life was getting a divorce. The scariest decision I made was quitting my day job. And, you know, but these are all like big, deep breaths. And I've heard this analogy before, but like, I cannot say it enough. Having, starting a company like this is like having a baby. And, you know, my gestational period for the company was only five months, but that was the behind the scenes, like, I'm getting ready to launch this. And when you are pregnant and you don't know what to expect for that childbirth, that's exactly what it feels like. Like, holy crap, I'm going to put this out to the world tomorrow and I don't know how to do this, right? And then, you know, I laughed. I told somebody the other day, I said, oh, thank God, I think we're through the newborn stage. I mean, hard 
hard. I mean, this company, it needs to eat all the time and there's no sleep and, you know, shit breaks all the time. And like, you just outgrow clothes every six to eight weeks. And, you know, as soon as you think you got one thing down, something else changes. And like, it was, it was, oh, it, newborn stages were tough. Now we're in toddler stages, you know, and we walk pretty well. We still ride on the walls with crayons, you know, every once in a while and do something <laughs> we shouldn't do and fall down and cry and get back up and, you know, but it's better. Like we're starting to be able to feed ourselves a little bit, right? And, you know, it's where, you know, and, and I said, as much as I would love to have a five-year-old company tomorrow, I wouldn't know what to do if I gave birth to a five-year-old tomorrow, right? Like you have mm-hmm. to go through all the stages. Somebody asked me, what would I, would I've changed anything in the last two years? No, I wouldn't have because I had to learn it all. I had to do it. I am getting an education right now that you cannot buy. You cannot buy. Like it hurts and it's not, it, it is scary and it is hard, but there's just no shortcuts. And so it's get up, dress up, show up, keep putting one foot in front of the other, trust the process, keep surrounding myself with people that are cheering for me. There's so much love like in my life of people that are like, you've got this. And being in those spaces, like the very worst thing that I could do would be to just be at home working. Like I have got to be around people. I'm going to a great startup event tonight. And every time I'm around people that are as crazy as I am, this is a huge important thing, right? And people that are, you know, they're investors and they're founders and they're workers in startups. And there's just a different energy and everybody is just rooting for you. It's like leaving a football game every time you go and you're like, okay, I got this, you know? And it fuels you for another day or two or three. And then you're like, oh God, what am I doing? Like, this is going to be And I'm like, I better go talk to somebody. It's, it's going to say, you know, you got this. It's okay, you know? And like, you really have to like recognize that because the highs and the lows are very real and you can't stay low for long at all. Like, you know, but if you let yourself go to that darkness of like, what the hell am I doing? You know, how much debt am I in today? You know, like, shit, we haven't had any sales in 24 hours. You know, like there's always that like, really? But just don't go there. (laughs) What an amazing story, Jennifer. I know a lot of our listeners are probably uh, pretty impacted by this and want to support and follow you. So how do they assist you the best to get you to those 5 million or 5,000 subscribers? Yeah, we'll become a subscriber. So we are everywhere on social and our, it's entry underscore envy anywhere you are. TikTok, Pinterest, Google. You own it all, don't you? You, I want it all. I own it all. There you go. Entry underscore envy. On our website is just entryenvy.com. So you can, if anyone wants to get a hold of me, it's just jennifer at entryenvy.com. Everything is easy. Big on branding there, right, Kat? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> keep it simple. But yeah, you can do a monthly subscription or a quarterly subscription and all sorts of custom signs and lots of fun. So yeah, please reach out and I hope that you follow us and become a subscriber. We'll surprise and delight you. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer. This was amazing stories. All I, I've never heard all those pieces. So that was really, really good to get to see all the pieces, how they connected, and how Jennifer Lee was created. Yeah, I didn't know that either. <laughs> I knew Ooh, like your job, like when you started, but I didn't know the background at all. So this was great. Yeah. Well, thanks, you guys. It's been so fun. I love all of our stories, and I love our connectedness. So thank you for interviewing me today and sharing. And wish you both the best. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. 
Take care. All right. Sounds good. (laughs) All right. So thank you so much for listening to our special guest, Jennifer Lee at Entry Envy. And you can watch this anywhere that you listen to your podcast. And we are on TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram at NYC Meets Bama. And we post every single Friday. See you guys next week. See you next time. Bye.